This week we turn to a new chapter in the book of Ruth, and many of you are trying to do the same thing in your lives, kind of turning over to a, a new chapter, turning from 21 to 2022 into the new year, trying to make the best of it, right? New years, new starts, new resolutions, new things, they give us that feeling of freshness, because as you all know, that freshness usually fades pretty quickly, right? The new, the new car smell only lasts so long before it starts to smell like whatever you're habits really are. You say, well, I'm not going to smoke in my new car if you have a bad habit of smoking. And it's not too long before you break that new rule and your car no longer smells like a new car smell, but it's like an ashtray, right? Or you, maybe you say, I'm not going to eat fast food in this car. I just paid $50,000 for this new car. I will never eat in this car. And then you get hungry and you're in a rush and about two months later, you stop at McDonald's and you go through the drive-thru, right? It doesn't take long before we break these habits that we so often uh, start for ourselves but don't stay with. So it is with our lives. It's only a matter of time before entropy sets in. But what if I told you that there was a way to actually keep and retain and redeem that freshness that we all Long for? What if somehow we could be saved from those destructive habits that we so often kind of slip back into, those unfortunate predicaments that we often find ourselves, and many times it's even our own faults? What if there was a place that promised such things, such freshness all the time? What I hope to show you this morning is that such a place actually exists. In chapter 2 of Ruth, we get a glimmer of this hope when we find she finds grace, that is Ruth finds grace and promise under the refuge of her Redeemer. So we too will find grace when we place ourselves in the field of promise where our Redeemer resides, the church. So if you would turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Ruth, we're going to look at the entirety of the chapter in chapter 2, verses 1 through 23. I know it's a long text, so bear with me, but these are the words of God. So let's give attention to them, church. It says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to a part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she's continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, to go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn? Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? 
But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord. For you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves. Do not reproach her. And also pull out some of the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name whom I worked with today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to my young men until they finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young men, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and the wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. The word of the Lord for his people. Let's pray. Father, we come to your word this morning. Such a long text, but so much there for us. We pray that through your inspired word that you would inspire us by your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would be upon our receiving of it, that you would open our hearts and our minds, our ears, all of our faculties, that they would be sensing you, sensing Jesus through these words, that we would find the true Savior that is behind the text of these words as we read them, as we hear your word spoken this morning. Speak to us, Lord. We listen. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So a long text, right? 23 verses. I think that's the longest that we've covered in one sermon here so far. But let me just catch you up to speed. For those who have missed the first chapter, we've already covered a lot of ground. But I, I want to kind of get you the highlights of what has happened thus far. So it'll kind of get you to where you can pick up where we are today. So what has happened so far in the book of Ruth? Well, to start out, an Israelite family leaves Bethlehem, which we said means what? means house of bread. So they are leaving this house of bread, this place Bethlehem, the land of promise that God has promised to his people because there's a famine. So they're moving where? They're moving to Moab. Grass is always greener on the other side. They they look over there and say, it'll be better over here. Things aren't going out out great over in Bethlehem. So we're going to go over to Moab where there is a promise that we think. So then they get there and then they marry with Moabite women. So Elimelech has two sons, 
And those two sons then marry Moabite women, and life gets complicated from that point on. Basically, after that, the story is all the men die. And that's symbolic in many ways uh, to say that this is a dead end. There's no seed. Once the men are cut off, the seed of the family are cut off, there's a state of barrenness. There's three widows here that have nothing going for them in the land of Moab. So that happens. Then they decide, well, nothing's going, uh, nothing is good happening here. So we're going to go back to Bethlehem. We're going to return to the land of promise, the house of bread. And as they're returning to Bethlehem, complicated family disputes break out, right? While they're on their way, they've already left. Naomi tells her two daughter-in-laws, turn back. Don't follow me. One of them takes her advice. The other one says, no way. The text says that, and Ruth clung to her. Ruth would not turn back. Ruth is steadfastly staying with her mother-in-law, Naomi. And Naomi isn't too happy about it. She's pretty bitter. So they continue on to get to Bethlehem. And then when they finally do get to Bethlehem, more complicated community relationships happen, right? So they re-enter, and then the, the community sees Naomi, and they say, Is that you, Naomi? They hardly even recognize her. We don't know if this is the years that have worn on her, if it's her complexion that has changed. Maybe it's her countenance. Maybe it's her disposition, the way that she carries herself. Something has changed about Naomi, and this community points that out. And Naomi is bitter about it. She says, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara, which means bitter. So in sum, there's extremely messy lives that exhibit emotional, spiritual, and even physical complexity and need of utter rest. That's where we pick up in chapter 2. They are in need of a break. Where are they going to find such a break? So we pick up in chapter 2 with these two ladies trying to catch a break, trying to find favor, trying to find grace. And that's where I'd like to start with you this morning. In verse 2, it says this, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. Some of your texts, if you're reading from the King James, will say grace instead of favor. So she's looking. She's trying to find grace. She's trying to find favor. And what she does is she takes her context and moves it from Moab to Bethlehem. Right? That's a good start, isn't it? We're going to go back to the house of bread. So she goes to the general place where she knows that she can find blessing in Bethlehem, the house of bread. Then she gets a little bit more specific, and I'm going to kind of telescope in on this and see what she does here. Then she says that she's going to go to the field of favor. She's going to go to the field of favor. So she's going to go to Bethlehem, and more specifically, she's going to go to the field where she might be able to do this gleaning thing. This was a provision in the law where the poor and the needy could go and glean in a field. So she's going to say, I'm going to go to a place where I know I can do that. And then more specifically, she says, I'm going to go to the field of the reapers. In other words, I'm going to go to a place where they're actually doing this kind of thing. Right? Where there's activity happening, they're actually reaping, they're actually doing this harvest, they're not just saying they're doing these things, they're not just having a, 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 a word-only following of the law where they say, yeah, we do that welfare thing, but they don't really do it. She says, no, I'm going to go to the place where they actually do it, to the field of the reapers. Then once she gets to the field of the reapers, we see that she runs into the man in charge of the reapers. So there's someone presiding over this field of reapers that she's in. And then finally she sees the man in charge of the man who's in charge of the reapers. Right? You kind of see how this kind of telescopes in and goes more specific to where she's finally meeting Boaz, the man who's in charge of it all. 
Now, that's Ruth, right? So what does that have to do with us? How do we find something from this text? Well, I want to present to you a way to kind of read this text in a kind of a spiritual lens. How does Village Church find grace? How do the people in the pews this morning, how do all of you find favor when you're absolutely in need of rest, when you're spiritually exhausted, when you're physically, mentally, emotionally burnt out? Where do you go to find grace, to find favor? We go to the church. So the church is the place that we find this rest, this grace. The ter- church, and in many ways, is a type of the house of bread, isn't it? Right. The church is the place where Christ, the bread of life, is. It's, it's where we can find Jesus. Jesus is the bread of life. That's the general place where we need to be finding this grace. We know that there's no other place to find it under heaven. There's no other name except for Jesus, that we're going to find this. So we need to be looking in the right places. And the, the general context is the church, but that's pretty vague, isn't it? Right? There's, there's millions of churches. So yes, the church, but which church? Well, we want to go to, more specifically, the local field of favor, the local church. We look around and we say, are there any churches around? I, I believe in the church. I believe that Jesus is there. So where are we going to go? We're going to go to a local church, a place where we can access the grace of God. His grace is accessible anywhere, but we have the means of grace all of here where the activity is happening. So which local church? Well, we want to go to the one where the reapers are at work at, don't we? Right? We don't want to go to a place where nothing is happening, where there's no activity. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, Jesus says. Sometimes it's hard to find a place where there's actual labor happening. Right? There's harvest all over the place. But where can we find people that are actually doing that gospel ministry? The work that Jesus calls us to. We want to find a church where there's activity happening, where people are actually carrying out their faith in the way that Jesus calls them to. Not a dead faith. We want, to, we want a place where there's people that are caring for the sick. That are loving the orphans. That are loving the outside. The foreigner, when a foreigner walks through the doors, they are welcoming that person. They see that new person coming through the doors. They're a person. They're, they're taking care over the field entrusted to them. They have a lively faith there. And this church has someone presiding over it, doesn't it? It's entrusted with a body of elders, a session, we call them. We have elders or a shepherd or a pastor who watches over the flock well enough to be able to give an answer to the master when the master comes to visit, right? When the master comes and says, to whom does this one belong? That session, that body of elders, that care over the church knows enough about the state of the field of favor that he can give an answer. He knows what's going on in the lives of the people that show up there. He's keeping a close watch over it because he takes seriously the call of a pastor, the call of an elder. Right? When we're entrusted with people's souls, that is a huge deal. Hebrews says that we will have to give an account for those who are entrusted to us. So that's the kind of place that we need to be looking, a place where there's activity, a local place that we can access. There's actual care going on there. He's already has a a practice of uh, taking care of those who come in. He's following the, the, the rules of the church, the functions of the church, kind of like in Boaz's state. He was following the welfare program of Israel, wasn't he? What a beautiful program that was, too. If you're unfamiliar with it, it's not at all like the system that we have in the United States now. The welfare system that we have now is a disgrace. It strips people of their dignity. It doesn't allow them any honor for uh, being in a state of need. 
Sometimes that happens. It happens to people who have whatever reasons. It doesn't even really matter. But they find themselves in that spot, and we don't give them the dignity that they deserve. This program is a beautiful program. It allows the work or the person that is in need to come and work in the field with the people. Right? So they're laboring in the field, they're doing the work, and they're leaving some left over for them to take. Your system right now, it takes your money from you. It doesn't ask you. It takes your money from you. It puts it in a system, and then it disperses it to people, and there's no face to it at all. There's no personality. There's never any kind of connection from the person who's actually giving it to the person who's receiving it. And it strips that person of the honor, not only of being able to say thank you to the person who provided it for them, but it also strips them of the honor of actually having some input in it too. Right? In this system, they were actually able to go. They were to stand behind the, the people who are gleaning. They had conversations with them. They spoke to them. There was real life happening with them, and they got to say thank you. That, that's the kind of thing that is happening in this kind of field. That's the kind of thing that should be happening in our churches. Where we give the, the sick, where we give the needy, the orphan, the, the person that smells like who knows what when they walk in the room, we give them the dignity and the honor that they deserve as a person. We're caring for their souls. And most importantly, this church that we're looking for, this place that we can find grace, will have a, a good shepherd who connects those people to the master. That's my job. That's the elder's job. And really, frankly, it's all of our jobs to be so pastoral that we connect people with the whole point of this, right? When, when you come in here, I don't, I don't just want you to go through the motions. I don't want anyone to just go through the motions. I want you to see that we're active and harvesting, we're reaping. But at the end of the day, I want you to meet our great master. I want you to meet the person who is in charge of this field ultimately. Because it's not me. It's not the elders. It's, it's no one but Jesus. This is the Lord's church. This is Christ's church. We are his bride and he owns us. We are possessed by Christ. And the first day that Ruth searched out for grace, she found it and received it from none other than the master's hand. It didn't take long. She says, I'm going to look around. I'm going to see if I can find a place to find rest. And the first place she finds it, when she goes in there, that, uh, that, is, that was such a faithful community that they were able to connect her with the master. She walks in and she sees a beautiful community of people who are being greeted by their master. Their master walks in and says, blessed be you all. And they return the blessing. They say, well, blessed be you. Thank you. You, you are great. You are so good to us. You are kind to us. The, the things that you're doing here, we appreciate you. You aren't a slave master. You're, you're taking care of us. We're well cared for. And that's who she meets. She ultimately gets to meet Boaz face to face and talk to him and say, thank you, Boaz. Thank you. So this is a place where the, the foreigner fits right in and is able to meet the master himself. It's a place where the master takes notice of the person who's out of place and asks, not who is this? Did you catch that? But to whom does this one belong? Now, that, that sounds a little odd to us, doesn't it? If someone walked in here, we would probably say, who are you? And we, we would want a name. And they would tell us our name and we'd say, oh, okay, hope to see you again. Right? But we don't ask that question, to whom do you belong? The question that Boaz asks, which is a really good question. I believe Boaz asked this because ultimately it doesn't matter who we are as much as it does to whom we belong. Right? It matters that we are cared for. 
It matters that there's someone watching over us. So Boaz doesn't ask this because he's shallow and doesn't care who Ruth is as a person. Quite the opposite. He asks this because of this person gleaning in his new field. This new person does not have a home. He's quick to extend that home to them. He says, if you don't have a place of refuge, if things aren't going well for you, if you haven't had a time finding grace on your own, if you can't find it out there in the world, guess what? There's a home for you here. To whom do you belong? Do you have some place that's taking care of you? Is someone caring for you? Is that something that you're experiencing regularly? That's the questions that we need to be asked in our regular experience of church. The church is the place of refreshment that I was talking about. That we can show up each and every week and try to reset our lives, to get back. It's, it's a place where we come to be renewed, cleansed of our sins. We hand those sins over there to the Lord. We don't harbor them up. We don't hold in resentment. We don't hold in bitterness because it'll eat us alive. We come here each and every week to just unload, to say, I need grace. I, I am in need of refuge. And too often we walk out the doors of the church like driving off a car lot with a new car and we just keep running it hard thinking that we never need to come back and have it serviced. Right? Don't we often do that? We, we run ourselves until we're absolutely burnt out. We think we never need cleaned. We think we never need a car wash. We think we never need to clean up the interior or the exterior. We think we never need to change the tires. We think we never need to change the oil. We don't think we ever need to change. We think we can just keep going and going and going. And we will run ourselves until we're completely out of gas. That's called burnout. Have you ever experienced it? We get there, don't we? I don't know why we do it to ourselves. We, we so often know what we're supposed to do, but we just get too busy, right? And that's what happens almost every time someone runs out of gas in the car. Like, they, they know that you're supposed to fill up the car every single week. Like, maybe even more than that. But you just get so busy and you forget to even check and you realize that you're on empty. Like, you just keep going and going and going and then you realize, I have nothing left. I have no gas left. And so many people do this. And it's destructive. It's to our own disadvantage. There's no reason why we have to live this way. We don't have to live this way. We can live in close communion, having the tune-ups, having all the things that we need, having the service. Right? We come here to give the service to the Lord. And that really what it is, is it's a service to ourselves. We are being serviced by God as we pour out our service to him. But the the church, it offers this place of grace and refuge to find refreshment on the inside and the out. It's a place where we can show up each and every week and like a person pulling up to a, a, a car maintenance shop, The guy usually comes and he opens up the hood and he looks at it and he's like, wow, when was the last time this was serviced? And many many of us, that's the way it is. We come and we subject ourselves uh, to the preaching of God's word and the care of the church. And uh, the sermons, they ask questions and we feel like our hearts are kind of being pried open, like we're prying open the hood of our car. And we have to come to the hard reality that we haven't changed the, uh, the oil and our dipstick is completely dry. And we get that awkward face from the, the maintenance guy. And they're like, do you ever take care of this? Like, did, When was the last time you changed the oil? And you're like, oh yeah, you're supposed to change your oil. Uh, you forget, right? We, 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 we get in these habits that are so destructive. When we could be building in hard habits to where we're always doing the, this, this, the, the tune-ups, the services, those things that you should be doing. You know those people that have like that booklet in their car where they are regularly going like they should? 
That's for a, a reason. Those, those cars generally stay better maintenance. They last longer. But we tend to ignore them and we think, well, I, I've got it on my own. I'll change the gas when I want to change the gas. I'll change my own oil and you forget to change your own oil because life gets busy. And you start to have things build up, right? That's usually when we start to remember that the check engine light, it's been on for a while. Right? Many people run their cars with the ch- check engine light for years. Many people drive their cars when they have these weird noises where they, you take a hard turn right and you hear this awful screeching noise and you don't know what it is, but you just keep driving because you, you can still drive. So, I mean, why stop when you could keep going? Or you hit a bump and you hear this clanking noise and you don't know what that is, but we're just going to keep on going. i got to get the, to my appointment, right? We just keep on going. And there's these things in our lives, right? This is an a- analogy, right? This, this happens in our lives where someone will bring up a topic. That's the clinking noise, and you realize that like you're quickly offended by that. That's an area of your life that you haven't serviced for a while. You're not, you haven't gotten real healing like you need to from that. Or you, you turn in this direction, someone brings up this subject, and you blow up on them. Or you collapse, and you start bawling and crying because you haven't, you haven't addressed that. That's, that's something that's going on there in your soul, and we should take those things seriously. Right? That, that, that's a, that's a, a serious thing when we have these kind of things going on because what it shows us is that it's, it's really sin. There's, there's places of our lives that we've allowed brokenness and we're saying, I can do it on my own. And that's pride. It's, it really is. It's pride thinking that we can go through our lives and service ourselves, take care of ourselves. What we need is someone to bring healing to us. What we need is to take our situations seriously. This is what Ruth does in the story. She doesn't take her situation lightly. She is in a very grave situation. Her husband's dead. Mind you, her husband's dead. Her avenue of rest and physical fruitfulness was cut off. She had no way to have children. That was the form of rest in the Old Testament. What does her future look like without a husband? No kids, no nothing, no provision, no one cared for. She was in need. And like Ruth, we are in need of grace. We need to slow down in our lives enough to see that we are needy sinners. We are needy people. We have our, our plates full in so many areas, and we just want to just keep on going. And we can't redeem ourselves. Ruth's situation is one of physical provision. She needed food on her table and uh, children to carry on the family name. But there's a spiritual dimension to this, isn't there? Right? If we read this through spiritual eyes, we realize that we are in need of daily bread. We need to come um, under the wings of someone and find refuge for our souls. That's the language that she uh, talks about to Boaz. She says that I'm coming under your wings. I've taken refuge in you. I'm safe. I'm cared for. My soul is being loved. And this was just her showing up and getting a meal. And this, this story goes on. You know that this doesn't end here, right? There's more to the story. Boaz means more to her than a meal. This is an ongoing process where Ruth meets this master, this redeemer is what he is. He's the the kinsman redeemer of the story. And she finds redemption in him. So let me ask you, church, when was the last time someone asked you, to whom do you belong? When was the last time that you had someone ask you that? Has anyone ever asked you that? Are you being cared for? Do you have love being poured into your soul? Are you entrusted to someone? And when someone asked you that, what, did, what came to mind? If I ask you that now, to whom do you belong? What do you think of? We might start to think, 
well, I, I went to this church when I was growing up, and I, I used to go there. Technically, my membership, I think, is still there. I haven't been there in years. Or maybe I go to this church, and I, I kind of belong there. I, I don't know. I don't fit in right there. I don't feel this or that there. Or maybe I go here every week, and I am I belong to this. Or could we give a quick and easy answer that when someone says, to whom do I belong, you say, Jesus. Right? That's the sign of knowing that you're truly belonging somewhere. It's a quick and easy answer. Because at the end of the day, you don't belong to village church. You don't belong to whatever church you always go to. You belong to Christ. You are his holy possession. You are his and that's the kind of relationship that I want for you, that when you show up to a church, that you are in a community of believers, that you are being connected with the master himself. Right? You're meeting Jesus when you come here each and every week. I want you to meet your great redeemer. That's the whole purpose that we show up here. So what we have to realize is that while the church, the ecclesia, the assembly, that's what ecclesia and the church means, it's the central place of grace, it's simply a means of grace. Right? The church isn't grace. We find grace in Jesus. It's the place where Jesus says he is, though. He says, where any or two or more are gathered in my name, there I am among him, among them. So where are you going to find grace? You're going to find it where the, the people of God are gathering around Jesus and his work. They're, ta- they're, they're laboring, they're harvesting, they're reaping, they're doing the gospel work that they should be doing. So we go to that place. We show up at the place where we can meet our master to where the master meets us. And he says each and every week, and he calls us to worship him. He says, blessed be you. And you say, bless you, Father. Bless you, God. We want to be there. So once we find this place, this, the story isn't over. The, uh, Ruth just finds this. And how does she respond? Right? And how, how do we respond? When we finally find a church where we can meet our master, where we can find grace, we've, we've finally found a place where we can kind of let our hair down and say, oh, I felt it. I've, I've met my maker. I've, I'm in communion with him. What do we do then? Well, in verse 8 and 9, we see that Ruth meets her master, and she is given instruction by him. He says, hang out here. Stay here. You're welcome here. Come here. And she receives it. And then verse 10, look at her response. What a beautiful response Ruth gives. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? What a beautiful response from Ruth. And think about what this was. She found a meal for a day. And she dropped on her face and thanked her Redeemer, thanked her Master of her field in this field. What has Christ done for us? And how much less is our response usually than Ruth in finding one meal? She drops to the floor because she's found a meal. She's found a little bit of provision. And Christ, he's poured out his entire life for us. He died for us. And so often we don't even want to show up to meet him at church with the rest of the believers. Why is it that we act that way? I think it's because we forget. I don't think it's because we hate Christ. I think it's that we start to forget and we build these bad habits to where we forget, oh yeah, that is how good God is. Because when we start to isolate ourselves and kind of drift away, we don't remember. We don't have that constant reminder. That's why it's good to write the things down in the books, right? Put it on your calendar. Say, I'm going to be here. I'm going to change the oil. I'm going to put gas in my car. I'm going to get it serviced. I don't want to have another blowout. Because that's what happens if we don't service ourselves. So she receives by 
falling on her face, bowing and bewildered. And so should we. We respond to grace like that. And I love how perplexed Ruth is about the favor she finds. She wants to know why. Why did I receive this grace? I don't just love how she responds. I equally love Boaz's answer because he gives the answer that I wouldn't expect. It's not the Christianese answer, is it? If you, if you look, when she asks Boaz, why are you giving me this favor? He doesn't give the Christianese response that I, I gave you grace because you don't deserve it. You nasty sinner. Right? Because that's so often what we think. Well, God loves us, and what he wants us to know is how nasty we are, and how beautiful he is, and how rich he is, and how poor we are. And he just kind of wants to rub that in our face, right? And say, you don't deserve this. But he treats us with more honor and dignity than that, doesn't he? Boaz treats Ruth with, with much more honor and dignity than that. He says that she finds favor because it's her reward and her repayment for her faith. Now that's interesting. That kind of threw me off guard when I was reading this. Because when we think of grace, we think of unmerited favor. It's not something that you've earned. And note the kind of faith that I'm talking about. It's the faith that was one working through love. It was the kind of faith that pursues God through loving him and loving neighbor. And Ruth's steadfast love towards those around her and even herself lands her favor with God. She's in the right place. And God pours out his love on her. Now, what, what, how do we think of this? Lest, lest we forget, even those works were a gift of grace so that no man may boast, right? This wasn't because she actually earned her salvation or earned her favor. What this means is that grace snowballs. It was a sheer grace that Elimelech moved his family to Moab in the first place. Remember, Ruth kind of gets grafted into this story, doesn't she? She was out of the way. She was, she was a, a side road that you wouldn't expect. And through Elimelech's shortcoming, through this Israelite family's shortcoming, this Gentile is grafted in. It's a beautiful story, isn't it? They think that they're going down this road for the better, but it's actually for the worse. But it actually does end up being for the better because Ruth is kind of picked up along the way. And there's redemption through it all. So it was grace that Ruth even had the desire to remain steadfast under trial. It was grace that she had wisdom to seek more grace. And it was grace that she found grace that she was looking for. It was all grace. It's, it's this snowball effect. And further, we can see that it, it not only snowballs in Ruth's life, but look what happens when she returns home. Look with me at verse 14, and six, 14 through 16. It says, And at that time Boaz said to her, Come here, eat some bread, and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and she passed her roasted, uh, roasted grain. And hold on, let me, let me skip forward a little bit. Okay, so 17, sorry. Um, she gleaned in the field until evening, and she beat out what she gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley, which is about a dog bag of food, if you don't know. It's, it's literally about that much, uh, like the 50 pounds. And she, she took it up and went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. So she had enough that she gave her what food was left over. Now, do you catch that? Catch the significance of that. She found favor, which was in the form of food, and she had so much favor, she had so much food that she was satisfied, and she took some home to her mother-in-law. So what is her response? She receives it. She falls on her face. She's bowing to uh, Boaz. She's bewildered, and then she shares it. She goes and throws this grace out more. She says, I have so much that it's, it's overflowing. I can't even keep it in. This last section is simply Ruth returning home and retelling the entire experience to her mother-in-law. Let me tell you what happened today. I went somewhere and something amazing happened. 
I met this guy who poured out his favor on me. It, it was amazing. I've never felt this way. He, he welcomed me right in, and it was the greatest thing ever. And up until this point, Naomi's been bitter, right? She's been resentful. She hasn't said one word that's good. Everything that comes out of her mouth is absolutely negative. She's resentful. She's pessimistic. But when this happens, something changes. When she gets even a taste of grace, something shifts in her. She's different. As we keep reading through the story, you're going to see that Naomi changes at this point when she encounters grace. The woman who left Bethlehem, the house of bread, has returned and tasted and seen that the Lord is good. She, and she tells Ruth what? Stay here. Don't leave. Why? Because she's been there. She, she's left. She's went out and tasted and seen what Moab had to offer for her. Nothing but death and misery. So she says, Ruth, listen. I don't know if you even realize what you have just caught on to, but what you have just experienced is real, and I want you to stay there. I want you to keep showing up there. Don't go looking anywhere else. What you have found is what you need. If you've obtained grace, don't let go of it. That's what she's saying. That reminds me of Hebrews 12, talking about the discipline of the Lord. You remember that passage in Hebrews 12, 15? It says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up, and by it many become defiled. I think that she's experiencing something like that. She gets a taste of grace. She's finally obtained it, and she's allowed all this root, uh, this root of bitterness to grow up, and it's actually changed her, not for the better, but for the worse. Remember, they hardly even recognize Naomi when she comes back into her old community because she's been changed not by grace but by the hardships of life. And she begins to realize that there's something to this grace thing. Ruth, don't let go. If the outcast Moabite can receive this blessing, well, then I can too. And that brings hope for all of us, doesn't it? If the Moabite can get it, if the, the outcast can get it, if this person along the way completely out of the plan can get it, we can get it too. So we gather here each and every week to remind ourselves of that. It, it reminds ourselves that we are not holy. Right? We, we gather here. Some people think we gather here because we think we're holy. That's not. <laughs> that's not why we come here. We don't show up here each and every week to pat ourselves on the back and say, we did it again, guys. We made it through another week. How awesome am I? No, no, no. We show up here each and every week to remind ourselves of how holy we are not and yet how holy God treats us. That's what's amazing, isn't it? We show up here each and every week absolutely a mess and blown away by the fact that God says you're pardoned. We don't deserve it a bit. We, we, drop on our, we should be dropping on our knees saying, wow, I don't get it. And yet he still gives us the dignity to say, well, because you did this, because you, you showed up here, right? You came to meet with me, and I promise these things, don't I? I promise to give you the grace. You come knock, and I'll answer. If you ask for bread, I'm not going to give you a stone. I'll give you what you're looking for. I'll give you the rest. We need these things. So we remind ourselves that we show up here each and every week, that we're not holy, and he treats us like we're holy. And guess what? The, uh, the, the amazing thing about that is, is this. We're not holy. He treats us as we are holy. And yet, him doing that actually does make us become more holy. Have you thought about that? That when we're treated with such respect and dignity by our maker, that we're actually changed and conformed to the image of his son Jesus. 
Right? That we are transformed and renewed in our mind each and every week to shift a little bit each and every week. We don't see it in huge leaps and bounds as we walk out the doors. But we do get reminded each and every week that we're not sinners. He treats us like sinners. And we start to see over our lives, don't we? Slow growth. It's a beautiful thing, what God has done in his church. He invites all of us to come into it. But when we isolate ourselves, we cut ourselves off, and we start to live on our own, you know what sets in? Anxiety depression, even self-hate. We let those roots of bitterness grow up in our lives. And you know what we start to feel like? A root of bitterness. We feel like thorns and thistles. We feel like the, the outcasts of the world. We feel like we're completely devoid of love. But we don't have to live that way. We don't have to live feeling like dirt all the time. We can live feeling like a loved possession of God, like a garden that God is cultivating. He's cultivating our hearts each and every week. And that's not just an analogy that I'm giving. This is biblical language. Think of the parables of the seed being thrown out on the ground. We are the soil being cultivated by our Savior, receiving it. We should be ready to receive the Word of God. We show up here each and every week to be cultivated by God, to come under His refuge, to come under His wings. And He treats us with love, respect, and He calls us to even partake of Himself. He says crazy things like, you can live and move in my being. You can become partakers of the divine nature. What does that even mean? I can't even really give you an answer. But God tells us that we get to experience him in such a way that we get to partake of him and live inside of him, our maker. And as we do that, we become more holy. What a blessing that is. We should be rejoicing to our Lord. When he comes and says, blessed be you, church, we should rejoice. Blessed be God. Thank you, God. It's offered to all of us. Let's pray. Father, you do not treat us as our sins deserve. We don't deserve to be welcomed under your, under your wing, under your refuge. But Lord, we are so, so thankful that you do shelter us, that you do shield us, that you do guard us, and you service our hearts. You remind us that we belong to you, that we can be asked those questions and give a heartfelt answer to, to whom do we belong? We belong to you, Jesus. Remind us of that today and this week as we go out about our lives. Lord, we pray that we would be faithful to respond like Ruth, sharing this grace with those who are around us, telling people that we found something amazing and it's your son Jesus and that there is a real way for people to experience him. They can show up and meet Jesus. Let us be faithful in that manner. Let us be faithful to our own souls to love ourselves rightly, love our neighbors rightly by submitting ourselves to your grace, to coming under it, to finding refuge in you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.